Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Good for you. Good for you for being a trooper. Thank you for adapting. So no worries. I've already like hit record because I find that um, you get the best stuff just like right off the bat. Um, sure. But I guess I'll go ahead and introduce you for the, those people that are listening. Um, sure. So you're Marcus Keene, obviously. You're a nutritional coach, a fitness coach. You help people. You have your own battles with eating disorders in the past. There's a lot I want to talk to you about. Um, but I think the main thing I always ask guests about right off the bat is kind of like, what's your story? You know, what's your background with fitness and eating disorders and all that sort of stuff? Sure. I guess I've always been simultaneously involved in kind of two different industries, being the fitness industry and music industry side by side, uh, doing those things together, like at the same time has you know, put me under a fair bit of pressure, especially, you know, in my 20s when I was, you know, working late nights with bands and then up early in the morning for PT clients and all this kind of stuff. And obviously I don't do that anymore. I I kind of, I don't perform professionally anymore and it's just health and fitness coaching and, and disordered eating work and everything like that now. But the, the disordered eating just really it's so difficult to explain where it actually came from and, and, and where it started and all that kind of thing, because it just came on so slowly and so subtly that it's almost like everything was fine. And I was just, you know, into my fitness and thought that I was doing what I needed to do to be in good shape and feel good on stage and do all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I was like, wow, actually, this is a problem. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah how it, many? Uh, uh, how many years did you compete? Uh, c- compete or perform? I thought you just said perform. perform. What's uh, music what you industry mean by stuff? Perform. Oh, okay. My so, bad. Yeah. I thought for some reason you meant you were competing like figure competitions or something like that. Oh okay. no, no, no. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I was like music industry as far as like a pro guitar player. So like I was performing a lot like that way. And oh, cool. Yeah, sometimes it was it was it was full-time other times it was you know periodic but yeah I was kind of performing on and off for about 15 years mm, okay that's a long time and then yeah. on top of that struggling with fitness and eating disorders and all of that and yeah. so it came on slowly and I think something we conversed before about was the fact that almost like it's when you especially for men, it's almost like you maybe get dismissed more often uh, for having eating disorders. So was there like a point in time where you thought this isn't good, but then you kind of dismissed it because you thought like this isn't a thing that happens to people or, or you just under underlooked it? Yeah, of course. Definitely. Like there were times when I was, you know, in my own company and thought, I don't feel very good. 
Like, you know, this is, yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is not how a happy person functions. But then I'd listen to the people around me. I'd tentatively try and reach out about something or maybe just test the water and go, hey, um, this isn't working out so great. And it would be not so much dismissed as I don't think people around me really intentionally were dismissive as much as they just had no idea what to say. You know, mm. like they, you know, you come to come to most people with a with an issue like this, um, and they're like, "Oh yeah, um, <laughs> sounds terrible." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, they feel for you, but they have no idea how to help you. Yeah, yeah, like you know, someone like your dad or whatever is like, "Yeah." Um, hmm anyway you want another drink you know like, <laughs> right so uh yeah you just you kind of go oh uh I guess I'll just figure it out mm -hmm. and you know kind of continue on my own so yeah I don't think it was people being intentionally dismissive or not compassionate I think it was just a case of no one knew what to say <laughs> yeah well and when people do that it kind of makes you feel like it makes you think either, okay, this is a problem that no one can fix. Therefore I can't fix it. Or it makes mm. you think maybe it isn't a big deal. Like since they're not yeah. reacting, like it's a big deal. Maybe I'm just crazy or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But bo both of those things, definitely. You, you know, you think, Oh, I guess, I guess if no one's treating this like a problem, then I guess it isn't one. Mm -hmm. um, and then in some ways when the results of what you're doing are encouraged like you know whether it be looking really ripped or or being really lean or be always being the fitness person in your group of friends or whatever you start to kind of go ah oh, i guess it's just part of it <laughs> and you kind of keep going and 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 going and you know you come up against those roadblocks and those uh those rough patches here and there but it it has to get to a certain point and it and unfortunately has to get bad enough to the point where you're like okay no this this has to has to change yeah we all have certain points where it's like so low that then you switch it some some people have different lows than others some things get you but mm. i do agree sometimes that's what happened to me really i had i had a really low point before i decided to change things up and it wasn't even with bulimia it was just with my personal life in general but mm you're kind of grateful for those moments in a weird way because they were yeah. the catalyst to change you yeah 100 percent, absolutely mm -hmm. so with i'm curious i was just brushing up on your podcast because sure. you just marcus just released a podcast right it's fairly new right yeah yeah it took a while mm -hmm. to to get organized but now that it's going it's I'm quite happy with it. So. Yeah, no, it's a good episode. I, I listened to the first episode and um, I wanted to ask because I think it's a juicy topic and sure. it's just like people don't realize how common it is. I was just talking with um, my boyfriend about it, but then, um, you know, performance enhancing drugs he talked about. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about the fact that you had experimented with them or used them. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious, you know, what was your experience like with that? And why did you feel... The pressure to do that right so it was curiosity a combination of curiosity and frustration that i guess led me to try it and 
also opportunity, I guess. I had the opportunity to do it legally. I was in a relatively fortunate financial situation where I could pay to see a particular doctor who, you know, was under the umbrella of, quote, anti-aging, you know? Mm -hmm. So they were doing mm -hmm. like uh, TRT or hormone replacement therapy and, and all this kind of stuff, all that kind of gray area stuff that, that people are doing now. And, you know, I don't judge like it, it's like I tried it um, right. and I had the opportunity to do it. And I thought, you know, okay, sure. Let, let's give it a crack because I've been training naturally without any, any drugs or any kind of enhancement for, you know, a decade. And I was still looking at myself and then looking at the people who I wanted to look like and going, I'm not even close. Like, how is that? how is that possible? Like, how is mm -hmm. there such a discrepancy? And, and I've always been renowned amongst my peer groups, friends, workmates, whatever, as being a, being a hard worker, like I'm always at the gym, always, you know, even when I was touring with bands, I'd be trying to train and trying to exercise and trying to eat healthy on tour. So, you know, this is not coming from from someone who wasn't putting in the time and putting in the hours. I was, my life revolved around training to a kind of um unconstructive level but mm -hmm. yeah it was like that i'm working this hard and i'm still not there why and that led me to go all right let's give it a shot mm -hmm. so i went to this doctor who was all too happy to say all right these three things we're going to put you on um it was a combination of kind of peptides and human growth hormone stuff. So the difference like there, I, I got to stress that I wasn't injecting human growth hormone. That's a different thing. I was using a, a substance that stimulated what that doctor or in those circles, what they call more natural release of human okay. growth hormone. So it stimulates the, I think it's the pituitary gland to release more human growth hormone um, rather than actually just injecting yourself with human growth hormone. And on top of that, I was using a small dose of testosterone, like nothing close to what someone using full-blown anabolic steroids would be receiving. But mm -hmm. essentially, I received a boost in testosterone and human growth hormone. And the results were... I don't want to sound like I'm trying to sell it, but the results so are pretty fine. amazing. <laughs> the results I'm sure. are pretty, yeah, they were pretty amazing. Um, I I went from having relatively average energy levels and and needing to get eight hours sleep every night to you know I was training Thai boxing a few times a week. I was lifting heavy a couple of times a week. Uh, you know my. I was just bouncing back from training sessions fresh as a daisy. Like mm. I could absolutely annihilate myself at a particular training session on one day, have a day at work, get six hours sleep, and then wake up the next day ready to do it again. Now we're previous. <laughs> yes. I think so. it's like I currently added spin classes to my training regimen on top of like lifting five days a week. And even that has like completely wrecked me. I'm like yeah. crawling to Michael, but it's just, it's crazy to hear what you're doing. And it, it, I can see where it'd be tempting in that fashion alone. 
Yeah, extremely tempting. Ironically, since then, I've been, and, you know, since becoming a strength and conditioning coach, I've been playing a lot with different training volumes. And I've found that some of our, some of the best results, best natural results I've missy, received or experienced myself have been times when I've lowered training volume. Mm-hmm. You know, like, but that's that. I guess that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, um, yeah. So it, it was it was mad. I only needed about six hours sleep a night, seven max. I could train really hard almost every day of the week and bounce back from it just fine. Mm-hmm. And the things that you've been trying so hard beforehand that yeah. became easier with that. Yeah, it just it was like oh, things just started to click. Mm-hmm. And you know when I look back at uh, I've got not very many pictures from that time in my life, but um, when I see a picture, it's it's like yeah, you you can tell like I'm kind of like next level in in those pictures. Just the the amount of muscle mass I'm kind of holding while being quite lean. And when I remember, you know, I wasn't really putting that much effort into making sure I got really quality sleep. My nutrition was pretty terrible. It was mostly just protein. <laughs> like, yeah, it um, sounds like it with a no carb yeah. diet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, things, things were just coming together. And at the same time, I would go to my day job and not sit there like a zombie. Like I wouldn't be expending all my energy training and doing all this kind of stuff and then getting to work and then just kind of zoning out at work. I still was on the ball at work as well. And yeah, that was a, that was a, a, a unique experience. Mm-hmm. So why did you, you know, that's all the benefits, I guess, but mm. part of the reason I brought it up is because people it's interesting you have the experience of actually using them because people like you are out there I see it all the time it's not just a male thing like a lot of females are using performance enhancing drugs especially in the fitness industry and you see them and you see them like I was watching one athlete and she's like just did an 11 mile run now I'm training I did some swimming today too like what 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 are you doing like how are you doing all this and it's because maybe maybe not but they are also able to use some of these extra additives and it's just a dangerous game because you see that and you're like, I can't even like, it's hard sometimes for me to work just normally. (laughs) Um, And then you're like, you think something's wrong with you. And it's just good to have some caution to know that Mm. while they could be using some help that you aren't using, whether it's not that it's right or wrong. It's just that people don't always disclose it. Yeah, absolutely. There are two kinds of people, like put it, to put really simply, there are two kinds of people that seem to have this limitless work cap- capacity. Uh, some of them are using, you know, performance enhancing drugs of some description, but the mm-hmm. people who I've known to do that naturally and to that I know for a fact aren't using because they're close friends of mine and, you know, they just have this, you know, for a period of time at least, have this limitless capacity for activity and energy and what they're like the energizer brain, they just go, go, go. They're the people who I know like that are the people who are, they have a very relaxed nervous system. They mm-hmm. are very chill people. They don't have, for lack of a better way to put it, they don't have a lot of baggage. They don't have a, they don't, they're not anxious people. So sometimes people like that, you know, their nervous system and their body 
because it's not dealing with a lot of stress or anxiety or any of that kind of stuff, they can just direct all their energy to their exercise. But some of us who are prone to be a little bit more tightly wound, maybe a little bit more anxious, might be dealing with a bit more stuff, have a few more responsibilities, whatever you want to call it, that can that can affect our our work capacity at times. Mm -hmm. And it's it's this massive, massive kind of spectrum of different variables that can all uh, bring about different results in someone's ability to exercise a certain amount or get a certain result. Like it's a crazy number of variables involved in that. But the, the bottom mm -hmm. line is that performance enhancing drugs are way more common than anyone outside the industry would realize. Yeah, no, people think that it's just these broided up dudes like that are massive that only do bodybuilding shows. And while that is one of the categories, it can just be someone who looks relatively normal, but and mm -hmm. they just look like a really amazing athlete or something like that, that they yeah. actually could be using and you would you would never know. Um, yeah. And I like that you said the the calm nervous system. I thought you were going to say something like either they either they're using or they have like really elite genetics, but that is also another one where it's, I find that I'm one of those tightly wound people too. And mm. I always look at people who can do a lot. And I realize the same thing is that they do a lot, but they also don't seem worried between the periods yeah. where they're not doing stuff. And I know Absolutely. like before this interview, I'm here, I'm talking with you, people are listening, but I'm like beforehand, I was like, oh, I got to do an interview. Oh my gosh. And like all that worrying gets you tired. It's yeah. it like, wears you down? It's an energy source, even if it doesn't feel like physical activity. Sometimes you wonder why you're so bogged down at the end of the day. It's just from all the, the mental drama and your nervous system just going crazy all the time. So that's a really interesting point. 100%. Like the stress response, it's, it's a physiological response in, mm -hmm. in the body. And it's it's something that yeah if we frequently enter that space physiologically we we're going to feel drained we could be sitting absolutely still but experiencing mm -hmm. a stress response and you know you you sit still experiencing a hardcore stress response for a few hours you're going to feel like you run a marathon like yeah it's um it uses your resources yeah it fatigues you that's why after like a dramatic event even if you just sat there you're still like i am yeah. tired you know yeah <laughs> so why did you you know you talked about all the like the good things why did you go off these performance enhancing drugs three reasons really and i'm not proud of all of them <laughs> well you don't have to share if you feel uncomfortable no so. no no it's fine <laughs> um i'm happy to share pretty much anything the of course the one of the main reasons is any performance enhancing drug, even if it's prescribed legally, it's still going to be a gamble. It's still like, you know, there are no, there are no clinical trials of people being on these things for, you know, 10 years or whatever. There's only anecdotal evidence and experimental stuff. And, you know, we just don't know really like, you know, there are people who, like I've said in an episode of my podcast, there are people who make uh, make careers out of using performance enhancing drugs. And then there are mm -hmm. other people who use them and drop dead within 10 years. And they use they could be using the same the same doses. You know, yeah. like it's just uh, it's 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 Russian roulette. Like, you know, it, it's a gamble. Um, no matter how responsibly you try and do it, you don't know what's 
well, yeah, you know, you don't know how that's going to pan out, how that's going to uh, interact with your genetic predisposition to certain things. So, you know, using those injections every day and then thinking, mm, am I going to be one of the unlucky ones? You know, that was just a right. bit of stress. I didn't like that very much. No. Then as, as well, uh, I started to get a, a reaction to the injections, just like a, a really itchy type reaction, which was just really uncomfortable. And uh, lastly, it was just really expensive to do it legally, really expensive. Um, I, at, at that time, I, I couldn't justify spending the money. I was in my twenties and I'm like, you know what? maybe, and I still feel this way, I'm like, maybe I'll revisit hormone replacement therapy or whatever, as I get much older, in the name of, you know, quality of life and everything like that. But I just couldn't justify continuing to do it and spend that kind of money and taking that kind of risk in my 20s and and 30s, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I do, you know, you brought up a good point that, um, as you get older, there's definitely an option to look into. And, yeah. and it's totally like people can do it whenever they want. It's their bodies. It's not that it's evil. I think the I think the biggest thing I don't like about it is that people can be dishonest, which then leads yes. people to think that, oh, what, what's wrong with me? Or if I just work hard, I'll get that body. And that's not, yeah. that's such a huge thing to do to someone that is very, it's, it's dishonest and it's it leads people to work themselves into the ground. But yeah. um, also you're right there. There are risks with it, and you do not know if you know how you'll react. Um, there's there's no guarantees either way, but I can imagine that would stress me out too. I'd be like, yeah, well, who knows? Yeah. Well, is <laughs> yeah. today going to be the day? I don't know. <laughs> especially with you know, there was another death in the fitness industry recently. But you see people in the fitness industry that have died, you know, with correlations to their steroid use. It's just so so heartbreaking to see. So that makes sense. Yeah. Now, I guess kind of like, I guess we talked about that a little bit, but with bulimia, you know, you were struggling with that for how long? And on just and off for, for, in general. Yeah, on and off for 15 years. Okay, wow. Yeah. That's a long time. How did yeah. you even like start to pick up the pieces with that? It was a, it was a slow process. I, I had to kind of piece together different things from you know different influences um obviously i don't mean influence as far as instagram influences i mean like yeah different, i know what you mean yeah like that word now has like two meanings um mm-hmm. yeah i had to just piece things together i it was a lot of trial and error i tried a, it was almost like i would try all these different diets and all these different approaches and inevitably they would all fall apart, but they would fall apart for different reasons. So I would try to look at, you know, what worked for, what worked about that and what didn't work about this and what did I feel while doing this and why did I have good, more good moments doing that than what I did doing this. And it, it just, it was that Frankenstein kind of approach where everything Mm -hmm. just kind of came from different areas. And then, but the, the final kind of nail in the coffin was uh, Catherine Hansen's work, Brain Over Binge. Like, okay. That was, um, that was definitely her work and the way she kind of articulated some of that stuff. Uh, it, 
it kind of just made what I was doing make sense. I'm like, oh, so that's why what I'm doing works. You know, like, so it was just developing. At the end, it, it became about developing a, a better understanding of, of my own kind of neurology and, and how my brain worked and how habits are formed and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the whole process was really like a Frankenstein kind of process of, of putting different things together and seeing what worked and um, yeah. Hmm. Well, how I think that's so good that you said, because a lot of people, they get so attached to, they find one method. They're like, yeah. this is, this is the one. And then when it falls apart, then they just kind of completely give up. And I'm sure you had moments. I'm sure you probably had moments where it's like, this is the one. And then it fell apart. And then you stewed a little yeah. bit in that. And then you moved on. To the next. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Over time, yeah. it does like you piece things together. And I had read, you know, Catherine Hansen's book, which I have a few qualms about it, but I think it's a great resource. And a lot of my approaches closely similar to hers because it mm. uh, it is just a habit part of it so how did you how did you keep your morale up you know when you were going through that process were you yeah. maybe it's a better question to ask is when you started trying to recover was it like this big thing or you were just always trying to recover and picking things up along the way um yeah just for a second I want to cycle back with, with as far as Catherine Hansen's book yeah it was definitely like what you said, like there's there's not going to be uh, one approach or that was just like, oh, good Lord, this just all the pieces fell into place. Like, no, it was <laughs> yeah. definitely like picking up influences from from there and everything like that. So that was um, definitely just like one of those kind of Frankenstein-y kind of pieces that 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 came into place for sure. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make that clear just because I, I feel like it's important because sometimes um, we, we can kind of pick up one resource or one thing and, and put a lot of pressure on ourselves to recover or fix everything through that one process. But mm -hmm. in reality, that's often not what happens. Uh, no, or definitely not what happened for me. Yeah. I see a lot of people, they like a lot of my clients will be going through the process of recovery and then they'll listen to one other person and they're like, well, this person says this and then they'll start to panic and they'll think like, yeah. I'm not doing things right. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like you can use some of their approaches if you want. It's totally fine. Doesn't mean you're right. They're wrong. Vice versa. Like, is there something you think there's truth in their approach? and give mm -hmm. it a try, give it a whirl. Like you're saying, you shouldn't, I highly encourage people to like listen to other podcasts because just listening to only me or only someone else, you're going to get a very one-minded approach, even though I think we both try to like highlight other people's stories and stuff like that. Yeah. You're still getting only one perspective. So there, there's so many ways to do things. And I agree, like taking pieces from everything and then making your own unique version is the best thing for everyone to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sorry, what was the question that you, um, <laughs> that you actually asked? I think the question was something along the lines of, you know, when you were, well, can I ask first, you know, what was like one of your lowest days with bulimia and what was your low moment that kind of got you to even the place of wanting to recover? Sure. Um, two, two moments really spring to mind. One of them was from 
very close to the time when it all started for me. And one of them was from almost around the end. I remember there was a moment where uh, when I was a teenager, I was still in high school. I had been starving myself quite extensively, like an extreme calorie deficit. Uh, and I'd gone on a, a, a binge. A few of my friends were around and I snuck away to this is going to sound triggering as hell um I, I snuck a, I snuck away to purge and you know teenage guys like we're not that empathetic you know when we're at that age and mm -hmm. despite that I remember being in the bathroom and just hearing this really gentle knock on the door and one of my friends just said dude we can hear what you're doing oh man and and it broke my heart. Like, yeah. I, I, like of course, me being 15, 16, I'm like, no, no, no I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, Probably mortified and, too. Like, yeah. awful. I was just like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then, like, much later, like, in my late 20s, uh, I just had a really amazing professional experience where, like, I was in great shape you know some shows that i'd played had gone off without a hitch everything was just you know like a professional like a highlight of my professional life up until that point and on the last night of of that tour you know the last show is played we're all on the bus you know driving back to london and there was a a, a movie in the bus like we all decided to watch a movie together we stopped at a service station everyone picked up some movie snacks like some guys got some chocolate other guys got some chips and we were all just so stoked to be able to just breathe and just know that the tour was a success and that all the shows went off without a hitch and everything was great and we we're already celebrating that and just kind of breathing and just going oh oh thank god mm -hmm. and we just we're all in the best mood and when we got this food and, and sat in the bus like big like really awesome fancy tour bus with a tv and couches and everything like that and we're sitting there and I saw everyone else able to have their chocolate bar or their packet of chips in a very reasonable serving you know everyone just went and picked their one thing and a can of coke or whatever and they they, they enjoyed it and watch the movie but for me the moment my kind of treat touched my lips I lost any sense of the experience that I was having with those guys enjoying this moment and it became all about fuck okay I finished my food does anyone else have any that I can have mm -hmm. and yeah. it it just became all about the food i i was hiding the fact that i'd bought about three times as much as everyone else mm. uh i finished all of it i felt sick and then i started to just finish whatever anyone else had kind of like lying around and it just completely detracted from that experience and mm. that that was a moment that really sucked yeah that's a that's a good moment to highlight because it's the worst part about bulimia, I think. Well, one of the worst parts is that it takes you out of 
experiencing life and all you can think mm. about is like food and your obsession with it and wanting to do that and just calculating things all the time and just that urgent desire makes things that normal people would enjoy so much less like I remember yeah. at one point I wanted my boyfriend to stop talking to me just so I could eat food and and yeah. it's like what, what? <laughs> like why are, we, why are you thinking that is perfectly normal great human being next to you and it's like just shut up I want to eat my food and mm. thinking that that's more important than real life so yeah that yeah. sounds like a scary moment for sure yeah no, I definitely I, I hear that like that that moment of wanting everything else to stop so you can just be completely absorbed in in that food yeah mm -hmm. and that's uh it's it's not it's not cool it, it it takes away from what would be magical experiences yeah but what would be a good experience just a nice experience in life yeah mm. so yeah. you kind of said you were piecing together lots of different things um but what do you think like when when you dealt with how did you stop binging if you could like summarize that i know you can't say it all everything everything because there's yeah, lots of little sure. things in there a lot of it came down to applying what i had previously learned to deal with extreme stage fright to my feelings surrounding food it mm. was almost like the process that i'd had to learn out of necessity to deal with stage fright I didn't realize that that would translate so well into helping me deal with my feelings, urges and emotions surrounding food until one day just kind of clicked and I realized like, oh my God, this is the same skill set. And that was a real moment for me. Like it, it was like all these kind of skills and practices that I've had that I had had to learn for other things in my life, particularly with professional performance. Up until that point, I hadn't made the connection that it was all the same thing. <laughs> and That's uh, so yeah, and and you know that that makes it sound like a very streamlined process, but it was still a lot of like stumbling around in the dark, blindfolded. Like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that that was definitely. Yeah, when you can probably. compare it to something in your own life, like when I talk about managing urges, there's this process you have to do of actually even being aware that you're in an urge, you know, that you're mm. having those desires because sometimes it happens so autonomously. But then when you know that, you then have to stop yourself somehow. And so knowing how to stop yourself, I think comes with a combination of being able to feel your feelings and then having the power to kind of override your brain. Mm -hmm. which all sounds convoluted and complicated and super difficult, but you actually do that a lot of times in other areas of in, in your life. Yeah. Like I, I would have to get on stage for dance when I was younger um, and I'm a really shy person. So I guess the same skills would have applied, but even anytime I talk to anyone still, I have to go through the same process of just being like, no, it's fine. It's okay. Just do it. You'll be fine once you're on the call. Yeah. And I have to, you know, override my brain. So I think that's such a brilliant example I haven't used personally of, of saying they're really transferable. If you can find another place in your life where you do something, even when you're scared, even when you're feeling extreme emotions, you mm. can apply that to binging and purging. That's fantastic. Absolutely. The, uh, yeah, just, we have to move through discomfort with so many things in our lives, but because food is something that, 
you know, it, it can happen in private, it's so accessible. And, you know, we don't really have to answer to anyone. As far mm -hmm. as our food goes, the, the stakes aren't very high at times. You know, the, the consequences for a binge or the consequences for something is, is always that little bit in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it can be quite easy to, to follow that, to follow that path. Whereas, you know, other things that, that we deal with discomfort with that we move through the discomfort and we kind of work through it. Like, yeah, we, we do that. We do that with other things, but sometimes with food, uh, not so much. And one of the things that was always a missing piece for me that I came to realize was, you know, energy levels. Our, our physical and mental energy levels play a huge part in our ability to actually move through that discomfort effectively. Because, you know, if we're drained, if we're worn down, if we're depleted, then we're going to have fewer resources available to be able to move through that discomfort effectively. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, actually taking care, care of yourself, it's very important during recovery. It's always important, but it's really mm -hmm. hard to manage urges and think clearly at all if you're not yeah, getting yeah. enough sleep or enough food or anything like that, or you're just stressing yourself out constantly. I find a lot of people that I work with, binge eating virginity is one of the few times where they allow themselves to just take a break. And yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of like their one way to get energy back. And a lot of people have said like, it's almost my, it's trying to tell me something. It's trying to get me to take a break and you're, mm. you're dead on, you need energy. So you have the resources and it doesn't, you know, you shouldn't be trying to recover with willpower alone. There's oh, a little not. bit of willpower required sometimes to move through that discomfort and energy mm. is required for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's like that willpower and energy is something that, you know, we can't, uh, lean on all the time because it's a limited resource but we need it there for for those moments for when we need it so when we reach for it for when we have those moments it needs to be there for sure mm -hmm. yeah now i knew there was one other thing i know we're running out of time but there's one other thing i wanted to ask you and then we can move on and go through this because there was we talked before energy balance fitness oh yes i didn't want to forget about asking this for like, how do you still, cause obviously you still work out, you still have, mm -hmm. like, you still care about your nutrition. How do you maintain a balance between fitness and like not completely going back into this orthorexic obsessive, like everything? How do you have a balance with fitness? Mm. It's a, it's a combination of those same practices that we use in recovery, they just keep going. You know, it, it's like, I've always found, it's not like we, or the practices that I use to, to go through that process, it's not like I use those practices to recover and then just went, all right, I'm done with those now and then moved on <laughs> with my life. Like they're, they're tools that I kind of keep with me like every day and continue to use those things whenever I run into whenever I run into trouble uh, as well as that it's just a a lot of time that I've spent educating myself on everything surrounding the industry 
on strength and conditioning training, on nutrition, on the results that different people experience from exercise, on sleep, uh, different different diets, differently, you know, like just being immersed in the industry, we could say that it it's very triggering, but at the same time, it's the best possible place for me to be to gather as much information as possible to create a really well-rounded knowledge uh, and, you know, a really well-rounded kind of depth of experience that allows me to move through this process, uh, if that makes sense. So, you know, looking at the, the health and fitness industry, especially, you know, the, the gym and kind of fitness industry part of it from the outside, it can be easy to jump to conclusions or to kind of fill in the blanks or to not get all the information. But from mm -hmm. my perspective, perspective being neck deep in the industry um i don't have many questions you know like I, I know about performance enhancing drugs i know about the different effects i know that the degree to which genetics plays into someone's results i know how or you know i know how things like anxiety depression different moods different states different lifestyles can affect our results in the gym with our nutrition all this kind of stuff so mm -hmm. whenever something goes wrong for me i've i've began to found it exceptionally easy to troubleshoot so when i feel something coming up it's very easy to go now after i've practiced this it's very easy to go what's that oh i know exactly what that is and then address it mm -hmm. So basically to shore that up, like information's power, right? Being informed. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, when you're in the eating disorder phase and really knee deep in that, I feel like a lot of decisions about food and your life in general come from a place of guilt and shame and being like, you know, we're not, we're not going to have that treat because we don't trust ourselves or, you know, you can't be allowed to have that. Um, or we're going to work out because of like, mm. because we have to, because if we ever stop, we're never going to keep on going that sort of stuff. And then it sounds like you now make decisions me too, um, with fitness and nutrition and all that sort of stuff with, with the more gentle approach, like we're doing this, not because we have to, or because we're bad. We're just wanting to make informed decisions or wanting yes. to make decisions that are good for us. So when you, yeah. let's say you, Marcus have a craving for a cheeseburger or actually what's your favorite junk food? Uh, I love a good burger. Like, so, <laughs> so savory, I'd go, um, a burger, but I don't really see it as junk food anymore. That's like, I'm, I make burgers like multiple times every week so, okay there um, you go like yeah i i guess burgers are probably like, my favorite savory um but then uh licorice all sorts are my favorite sweet treat okay there we go licorice that's like hard to it's hard to argue like having licorice unless i don't know but you so you have a craving for licorice how do you handle that in your brain now versus how you would before for a start I don't tell myself <laughs> for a start I don't tell myself I'm not allowed it you know mm -hmm. like I review it first there's that kind of review if I feel like I really want that like just earlier tonight like I didn't have any usually I've got some in the cupboard 
I didn't have any and I kind of felt like that, oh, maybe I should walk over to the shop and get some. But then there was that step beyond being impulsive where it was like, let's review this for a second, sit with it for a moment. How bad do you really want it right now? And knowing that if I'd gone through, if I go through that process and know that, or if I go through that process and realize that, yes, I actually want it a lot right now, then I'd go grab some. But mm -hmm. if it's kind of like, yeah, oh, it's really delicious, but I, I kind of want some, but kind of don't, then it's, I'll be just like, well, you don't need it right now. Like save it for when you really want it. And it, it mm -hmm. just kind of, it's, it's much easier than telling myself, no, you shouldn't have that until the weekend, or you've got to eat that as, at a specific time. It just becomes more about, do we really want some right now? Or are we just kind of thinking about it? Right. And it depends what internally, usually like I'm big on physical sensations. If the desire for something kind of manifests as a physical sensation, like then I kind of go, yeah, okay, cool. But if it's just like a random passing thought or a whim, then I'm like, nah, I'll save it for mm -hmm. another day. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm always curious how people handle cravings. Cause of course, you know, I'm a human being. I have cravings still. The other day I was craving pumpkin pie. It was really weird. I'm pretty sure I was oh, like delicious. low on something. Cause <laughs> I don't usually like pumpkin pie, but I saw someone like said it and I was like, oh, I need some. And I was like, I think <laughs> I'm nutritionally like have some sort of deficit going on, <laughs> but you like there, it isn't, doesn't have to be hard and fast. Like, no, I love that. You said you consider it and you give yeah. you, you give yourself the self-respect of knowing that you're allowed to have it. It's not a big mm. deal, but you can also have the responsible, like, no, we'll just not have it today, but maybe later, mm. or maybe when you really want it, it's almost like a good parent would talk to the kids when their kids yeah. are like, I only want a licorice ice cream sundae for dinner. Parents would be like, mm, you know, like maybe we could have it after you actually have your dinner. Like they'd be responsible with it in a really kind, gentle way. That's a really good point as well. Something that I, I forgot to mention. Usually I will ask myself, you know, have I hit my targets for, you know, my servings of protein and vegetables today? Am I hungry or am I, you know, what you said just then, I, I can't just have a licorice sundae for dinner, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I will ask myself like, all right, I'll have a, you know, a good quality like meal or a smoothie like first. And then if I still really want it, then I'll, then I'll entertain the idea. But bear in mind, like what I just explained, the process now is very, very different in some ways to what it was when I was first taking my kind of first steps out of, of the eating disorder. It yeah. used to be a little bit more regimented, a lot more mindful. There were specific techniques and things that I would implement and use to build to the point where now it's become more of an intuitive process. And I only say that now because there might be someone listening to what I just described thinking, well, that's just, if I could do that, then, then there'd be no problem. Is that all the yeah. advice you've got? Like, no, mm -hmm. it's like that. That's like the end result. No, that's a good thing you pointed out. Yeah, we were talking yeah. here and I think it's important to share that because it gives people listening something to look forward to that like, no, that's possible because we were both yeah. 
crazy um, in how we thought about food and we've come this far. Um, and it gives you an idea of like, like sometimes if I don't know how to solve something, I'll think of someone who I know would be able to solve it and try to get in their head, try to be like, well, how would they think about this? So I think it's important cool. to go to the future, but you're right. When you're first making those decisions, especially coming out of an eating disorder, I think it's, you have to just even go through the process of trusting yourself to consider mm -hmm. these options and really have, it's like a leap of faith every time you let yourself have a brownie or you have a nutritious, like anytime you eat food, really. So yeah. it, there's a lot of processes that go on with it. Yeah, well, sure. this has been really informative. There were other things I wanted to talk about, but we're kind of running out of time. So Marcus, where can people find you? I'm always on Instagram at the moment. Uh, they can find me at MKAIN Coaching. So that's M-K-A-I-N Coaching on, okay. uh, on Instagram. That's probably the most reliable place to find me at this point in time. The link to my podcast is currently in the bio. And yeah, at the moment, I'm just keeping things really simple, uh, rebuilding a website and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not putting any kind of pressure to, to do that anytime soon. He's it, being mm. too modest or whatever. He's got a cool, what's your podcast name? Uh, podcast name is just the MKN Coaching Podcast. Uh, okay. It's very, yeah. very imaginative. <laughs> that's fine it's consistent you want it people sometimes they'll have like i remember the first business i ever started it was like graphic design web design and because i couldn't get the same i had picked a name but then i did the website was already taken and the email i couldn't figure it out so like my email was slightly different my website was slightly different and then yeah. <laughs> it was just ridiculous so having the same name all around um is good yeah. but i just want to say like even if you're building a, building a website and I don't know. Just don't downplay yourself. You have lots to offer. And I'm like people listening, go check out. I love, I like his Instagram. He's posting a lot of informative, valuable things and it's just a good source and your podcast. I'm going to listen to the other episodes probably um, this weekend, but your first episode cool. was great. So keep it on up. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.